0: passion for God, and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. If you're somebody who's new, my name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're super excited to have you today. We are in a series right now, going through the book of 2 Samuel. This morning we are in 2 Samuel chapter 22, and for those of you who are keeping pace, that means we only have two chapters left to go till we're done with 2 Samuel, and we've been in First and 2 Samuel for a long time, haven't we guys? So it's going to be weird, like what do we do after we're done with 2 Samuel? Well, I'll tell you, we're going to go to... 1 Thessalonians, and we'll begin working our way through that, and if you're all worried about the end of the world, well, 1 Thessalonians will help you out with that one, so we can look forward to that as we get there. Um, This week, as I was preparing to write the message after doing some research, on Thursday at lunch, I was going out to Jersey Mike's to get a sub, and my phone rang, and it was my, my son, and it was one of my sons, and he called me, and he says, Dad, I've got some good news for you. And here's the challenge. You know, if you're in your 20s right now, it's a really tough time financially in this world, isn't it? The price of gas is high, uh, the price of rent is high, everything, the price of food is high. And if you're in one of those entry level wage positions, it's hard to make ends meet. And, and he's in that position. And he says, Dad, I, I just can't make it meet. I mean, I'm not eating, not, not doing anything. And I just can't pay the bills. And so he's, The good part about being in those tough times is it really teaches you to pray, doesn't it? And you start praying really, really hard. And he says, Dad, I've been praying so hard that God would provide because I don't know, you know, either I need to get a higher paying job where I'm working or maybe God's going to provide another job. And he called me up to tell me that he had passed this one company that had a help wanted sign and went in there, and he applied for the job, and they hired him the very next day, and it's going to make a lot more money than he's making now. And he he said, Dad, God answered my prayers. God, he came to my rescue in my time of need. And, of course, as a father, you just sort of get excited about that, you know? When he's learning that God does care, God does listen, he does answer those prayers. Can you resonate with that? Has that happened in, in, in your life where you've been in a really desperate situation where you found yourself in a, quite, in a pickle and you called to God in desperation and God answered your prayers? Maybe it wasn't as fast as you wanted it. Maybe it wasn't the way you wanted it, but he definitely did hear and respond. Anybody there? Like we're all Baptists, like amen, right? Amen. Let's just go for it. Well, if you could resonate with that, you're going to resonate with our study this morning. Because in 2 Samuel 22, what David does is he looks back on his life and he sees these times, crisis after crisis, where his life was in danger, where it looked like there was no hope for the future. And he called out to God in prayer and God consistently came to his rescue and saved him again and again. And so it's a lot of fun as we look at this, because I think we can resonate with what David feels as he looks back on his life. Let's begin with some background. And by the way, I'd encourage you to take out your sermon outlines. If you're new, you need to know that you'll want to use your sermon outlines as we fill in the blanks. There's a lot of good stuff we have in there for you. This first bit is some background. If you were here last week and you braved the negative 40-degree wind chill, this will be review for you. If you did not brave the negative forty degrees wind chill, which I can understand why, this will be new for you. The book of First and Second Samuel are pretty much chronological stories. First uh, Samuel is primarily about King Saul. Second Samuel is primarily about king david it 's what happens one thing right after the other, so it fits as a story, but the story uh, of King David, came to an end in 2 Samuel chapter 20. And there are these four chapters at the end of the book which are not part of the chronological storyline. These four chapters sort of sum up uh, the kingdom of David and the kingdom of God and the relationship be- between the two. And they're not put together in chronological order. I'd say they're more put together in what you would call thematic order, and they're put together in a strange way. They're put together in the form of a Hebrew inclusio. And some of you are going, inclusio, is that like an option you can get in your car or something? You know, it's like a package deal. It, it, no, it's not. It's a it's a it's a term. It's Hebrew, but it's not really that hard. So don't be sort of freaked out by it. It just means at the end of something, you mirror what's at the beginning of something. Let me show you a little Example here, this is what a Hebrew inclusio looks like. What you start with is what you end with. The next thing you cover is reared on the backside, of the next to last thing you cover. And in the center is often the most important piece. What we learned last week is the final four chapters of 2 Samuel are put together in the form of an inclusio. Let me show you. It begins in chapter 21 with King Saul's sin caused a famine, but it ends at chapter 24 with King David's sin caused a plague. And then you go a little further in, it's a list of David's mighty men and their victories. But on the back side, it's a list of David's mighty men and their victories as well. And then in the center are these things. David's praise to God for his faithfulness in the past, which we're going to look at today. And then it goes into David's praise to God for his faithfulness in the future. And you're saying, okay, we we covered that last week, so why are we reviewing this besides the fact that hardly anybody was here with negative 40 degrees? Well, here's what you need to know. It gets interesting because chapter 21 is called an inclusio inside of the inclusio. This one chapter is another inclusio. Let me show you. Chapter 21 begins with this. It's praise the Lord because God is my rock and Savior. But it ends with praise the Lord because God is my rock and Savior. Then it goes and talks about David's salvation but how it happened from God's perspective. If you could see it from heavenly eyes. But it ends with David's salvation from David's perspective. What David's salvation in times of trouble looked like with earthly eyes where you and I would see it. And then in the middle... these little sections about why God saved David, and then how God responds to our lives. So that's how this chapter is structured. What I'm going to do is read the first verse, which is the heading of the the chapter. It gives you an overview, and then we're going to work our way through it in the sections of this inclusio, the way it breaks apart. So verse 1 begins with this, and David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So 2 Samuel 22 is not a story. It's actually a song. So if you're somebody who likes worship music and you're excited about that and clapping for the worship music, well, this is your Sunday because this is actually a song that we're going to be studying. And David wrote this song in response to God's salvation from all of his enemies that he experienced, saving him from King Saul, who was his one long-term enemy. And we know the most recent enemy he was saved from was his own son, Absalom. Incidentally, this is a popular song that is not just found here at the end of 2 Samuel, but in a slightly different version, is actually found in the book of Psalms. It's Psalm 18. It's David's third longest song that he ever wrote. It means we have a lot of verses to cover this morning, so we'll keep a pretty good move on to get all the way through. I'll give you two big picture things that he's going, big points he's going to make we don't want to forget. They are this. Number one, David's going to point out that every good thing he has in his life, every salvation from a trouble he experienced didn't come from him but it came from God. Isn't that true? Every good thing we have in our life, every salvation from a trouble we experience doesn't come from us. It's God providing the rescue. Secondly is this, that God hears and answers our prayers. Sometimes we forget that. We forget that when we pray, that God hears and does respond. And as you'll see, he responds in what is very ordinary providential ways where it doesn't look like he's acting but he actually is very much behind the scenes. So let's dive into the first part of this inclusio. Verses 1 through 4. Praise the Lord, God is my rock and Savior, is what David says. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, And my refuge and my Savior, you save me from violence. And David just gives a whole barrage of different terms describing how God does one thing. He is the one who saved David in every way, unlike from almost everything. He says, God, you are my rock. Now, why does he describe God as a rock? Uh, Tucker, you ever seen like a Western movie when they're all shooting out? Where do you hide behind when somebody's shooting at you? A solid like a rock, right? Nobody's going to be shooting through a rock because God is your protection. He says, "That's what God you were to me. You're the rock I hid behind for safety when things were falling apart." uh, He also says, "God, you're my fortress." Where do you go when the evil attackers are going? You go into your fortress, and your fortress is your protection. Think about David's life. Multiple times where, for instance, King Saul tried to throw a spear at David to pin him to the wall, yet David, it said as we studied through 1 Samuel, was able to just get himself out of the way in the nick of time. Was that because David was really agile and really cool? or was that because God alerted him at just the nick of time to the problem of the spear coming his way so he could step aside. God did give him some agility, but God is the one who was ultimately behind that saving him every time. He describes God as his shield. Do you ever think about all the number of battles that David was in, but yet he wasn't injured in any one of them against the Philistines? Against the Amorites, against the Ammonites, constantly. Spears flying, arrows flying, swords hacking. Yet somehow David survived all of them because God was his shield around him. God protected him from all those things. Everything I want you to notice is how David describes him. He's my rock, my Savior. My shield, my fortress. To David, God is not some kind of impersonal energy force. Remember Star Wars or May the Force Be With You kind of thing? That's, that's not God to him at all. God is a person. God cares about him. God loves him. So David can call out to God, and God cares and responds to him into his, in his time of need. This is where David sums it up in verse 4. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. In every crisis I faced, he says, I called to God and God saved me from my enemies. I think it began all the way when he was going out against Goliath when he was only a boy. You think he prayed before he went out for that one? Oh, I bet you he did. And God saved him. Do you think he prayed when he was in the cave alone in Adullam as King Saul was chasing him? I'm sure he did. And yet God saved him again and again. But as we go through this song that David wrote, while David is the main focus and how God responded to his prayers for help in time of need, I want you to know this. God's, <laughs> David's hope is not just so we would think about him but he would help you think about you. The fact that God loves you. That when you go through times of difficulty, where the world is falling apart around you, that you also can call out to God, who's not an impersonal energy force, who loves you, and who knows you, and who cares about you, and he will respond in your time of trouble. Like, God responded to David. Let's go to the next part of the inclusio, verses 5 through 20. In this section, it's describing David's salvation from God's perspective. David prayed, and this is what it looked like when the answer came from God's point of view. It begins with this. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrent of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. And from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry came to his ears. I love the way he describes the distress he was facing. He said it was like the waves of death encompassed me. The picture is, have you ever seen those things on television where they have those big waves in Hawaii and the surfers are on the waves and they fall and they get caught inside the wave and they're spinning around in the wave and they don't know which way is up and they don't know where their next breath is coming and there's that sense of panic if you're a surfer at that point and you're hoping your surfboard is still tied to your foot to bring you to the surface? That's what David felt when he fit, hit some crisis in his life then he talks about the torrent of destruction assailed me. The torrent is like the flood. You ever seen on the news where floods go and they take houses, they take trees, they take people? There is nothing you can hold on to for stability. You're just going with it. That's what David said it was like when he was in times of crisis. Just that sheer panic. What do I hold on to for stability in this moment? And then he talks about the cords of Sheol entangled me. Sheol is Hebrew for the grave. The mental picture he wants you to get is you're swimming in maybe a lake or a pond and it has those seaweed in it. And you know the seaweed sort of wraps around your legs and the more you kick, the tighter it gets. And the more you try to pull forward, it just pulls you under. And there's that sense of panic, like, will I be able to, to get my next breath? Uh, I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna drown, I'm gonna die. Those are the feelings that David has In his times of trouble, swirling around in a wave, being caught along in a flood, being pulled under with things wrapped around his legs, he's in a panic. And in those times of panic, he called to God in prayer, and he heard my voice. And some of you may say, well, did David really, was he really that overwhelmed? Well, that's because you're forgetting what it was like in 1 Samuel, because we've been in 2 Samuel for so long. Look at some of the quotes from David's mouth. 1 Samuel chapter 20, he says, There is but a step between me and death. I am so close to being killed at this moment. Or uh, back in chapter 27, David said this, Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. He was sure he wouldn't survive. He would be killed. Now, we know the other end. We see how God took care of Saul. But at the moment, in those times of trouble, he thought he was facing the end when he prayed. Now, let's look what happens when he prays. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. Boy, this sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? This is David, just one person, and he prays. Yes, he's God's king, but he prays, and boy, does God respond in his time of need. God looks pretty angry. Now, if you've studied your Old Testament, you may begin to think, this scene begins to remind me of something I've seen before. Do you remember Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments where God came down and the very earth shook and the top of the mountain was covered in fire and smoke because of God's presence was there. David says, I pray in my time of trouble and that God, The God who was there present at Mount Sinai that shook the very earth, that God, he is the one that responded to me in my time of need. And he continues. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He was seen on the wings of the wind. That God, with thick darkness and smoke and fire, he flew from heaven to earth in response to my prayer, in my crisis, in my time of need. He made darkness around him his canopy, thick clouds, a gathering of water. Out of, the, out of the brightness before him, coals of fire flamed forth. Does it remind you of Mount Sinai again? This whole idea of the shock and awe of God's very presence? the the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered His voice and He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Once again, like Mount Sinai, but it, it sounds like God is more impressive than Thanos than when He gets all the Infinity Stones, doesn't it? Some of you who have... Has anybody watched the Marvel movies? Like everybody under 40 knows what I'm talking about, right? Everybody over 40 is like, what are you talking about, okay? Yeah, but... That's a pretty impressive moment when Thanos gets all the infinity stones. But God is more impressive than that moment. And then he says this, Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. God comes from heaven, he flies to earth. And he says the very foundations of the earth are laid bare at the rebuke of his nostrils. God blows, pushes back all the water and leaves the Mariana Trench completely dry. Now you're thinking to yourself, this sort of reminds me of something else from the Old Testament. Do you guys remember a time when God's people were in a crisis They had the Egyptian army in front of them and they had the Red Sea behind them and they prayed, Moses prayed and asked for God's help in his time of need and God showed up in a thick cloud in front of the Egyptians so they couldn't show up and then he blew and put the whole section of the Red Sea bone dry so God's people walked across on dry ground. This same God, the God who saved the people of Israel at the Red Sea is the one who shows up in response to David's prayer in his time of trouble. That's what he's saying. And he sent from on high, and he drew and he took me, and he drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support, and he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Now we're back into David's story. The God of Mount Sinai has shown up, and David has prayed And David described himself, remember he was in the waves, twirling around, didn't know which end was up. He's in a flood being brought away. He's being pulled down by the cords of death. And what does God do? He said, he took me out of many waters. God reached down and pulled me from certain death and put me in a dry place. But in this section... Is David is writing this, remember, this is poetry. And this is not just poetry, it's a song. And so he is doing all kinds of allusions to Old Testament pieces that people would pick up if you were Hebrew. Let me show you one of those allusions that doesn't come out directly in the English, but it's very apparent in the Hebrew. It says, He drew me out of many waters. Drawing me out of the waters? is found in only one other place in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. Do you remember what was happening then? When a little baby was in a reed basket going down the Nile River. Tipsy, turvy. And God has that basket show up at just the right time in front of Pharaoh's daughter who picks the baby up and names him Moses because she drew him out of the waters. Just as God providentially ordered things to answered Moses' mother's prayers, so Moses was saved and then raised up and ended up becoming the one who would lead God's people to the promised, you know, out of Egypt towards the Promised Land. God saved David in a similar way, raised him up, to become a leader of God's people. Similar thing here, using the exact same language. Another thing that's interesting, David says, he brought me out into a broad place. Broad place, another unique term. That term is used to describe the promised land. Exodus chapter 3, verse 8. Bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites. David says when he was going through life and the world was falling apart around him and he prayed, God responded and rescued him from when he was going to be washed away and destroyed, such as when he was battling Absalom, whose army far outnumbered David's army, but yet God heard his prayer and saved him. When he was battling the Philistines, you remember, we've seen this in First and Second Samuel, battling Philistine armies that far outnumbered anything David and his men had, but yet God heard their prayer and gave them victory. Battling a a time when he was outmatched by Goliath. God heard his prayer and gave him victory. Here's something that's very interesting. We saw salvation from God's perspective. The God of Mount Sinai with fire out of his mouth and smoke riding the winds of the, the angels coming down. That's salvation from God's perspective. But if you look back on David's life, Were there a lot of super-miraculous, dramatic, supernatural savings? A lot of times, it was very ordinary things that God lined up to work out just right. The stone from David's sling, dead-on accurate, because God made it that way. The battles that David fought against the Philistines, It just happened to work out that David and his men were victorious at the right place at the right time. Those were all God answering David's prayer. The thought came to mind about one time we were in 1 Samuel. Maybe you'll remember this. David and his men were on a mountain, and Saul and his men were surrounding the base of the mountain. Dan knows what I'm talking about. Surrounding the base of the mountain. It says they were about to fully encircle the mountain, which means David and his men... Would no longer be able to escape. And just at the time before they encircled it, a messenger came and said, The Philistines had invaded the land. And Saul had to immediately withdraw and go and defend the land. Who ordered it that way? So the messenger, so the Philistines attacked at just the right time, and the messenger came at just the right time, so David was saved once again in answer to his prayer. That was God. That's the way God works to save his people and come to their aid. So we've seen how, God's, how David's salvation worked from God's perspective. Now we're in the center of the inclusio, which is verses 21 through 25, and it's really why did God save David? In other words, this can't just be about David. But God saves David. Will God ever save me? Will he save me in my time of trouble when I call out to him in prayer? And here's where he gives us some answers. Point A, God rescued David, well, simply because he delighted in him. He says in verse 20, he brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. Why? Well, because he delighted in me. For whatever reason, God chose David to be the next king. And you know, it wasn't because David chose God to be the next king. God chose David. Remember when Samuel went to the house of Jesse to anoint one of his sons as king? And Jesse had all of his sons there but David because David was the runt in one sense. He's just out, he's the nobody. He's out tending sheep. But God said, no, that guy, the one that you wouldn't choose, that's the one that I chose. That's the one I want to be the next king. So God saved David, quite honestly, because God, for whatever reasons he has, chose to delight in David and set his grace and kindness upon David. We just have to face that. Of course, if the problem goes, God, you chose David, but what about us? Would you ever choose to delight in us? Do you ever choose to be the kind of God that would want to save us? And folks, I need to tell you, if you know Jesus Christ today, God has delighted in you. God has chose you. And God has saved you in a way that's far greater than any salvation David ever experienced on earth. Think about this. God puts you in a position in this world where you were born in a space at a time where you could hear the good news of Jesus. If you were born in a Muslim land, you may never even hear about Jesus. Then when you heard the good news, God chose to soften your heart so it made sense, and you responded to the good news. That was another bit of God delighting in you that you and I do not deserve. Not just that, but God says that you and I, because we are together with Jesus are literally now called the most blessed beings in the entire universe, it says in Ephesians chapter 1. That's what we are through Jesus. There could be nothing more that God can do for us other than put us with Jesus. That is the best thing that God could ever do for anyone. And he did it for us. I like the way it says it here in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Folks, before the world was even created, in God's mind, he had put you together with his son Jesus to be the most blessed being in the universe. Before you had even come into existence, he had chosen to delight in you. That, my friends, is good news. Amen? But David also gets real practical here. He says this. Another reason that God answered his prayers is this. God rewarded David for his righteousness. He says this. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and from his statutes, I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him. And I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. I'll tell you right up front, as I studied for this message, there are some Bible scholars that I usually respect, but they really struggled with this particular set of verses. David, cleanness in God's sight, God rewarding him for his righteousness. He's an adulterer. He's a murderer of Uriah. Who does he think he is to claim to be righteous? And then they sort of get off into something else, and I it doesn't seem to make sense for me. But I think it's really much simpler than that. This is what I think it is. Was David's adultery and murder, were they serious sins? Oh, yes, they totally were serious sins. We've seen that. Uh, were they forgiven? Yes, we know that God chose to forgive him of those sins when he repented. Were there still consequences of a sin? even after they were forgiven sin. Oh, yes, we've seen that in this study. The Bible says the sword never left his family. There was always conflict in his house. In fact, he lost four of his sons in response to killing Uriah. So there was still consequences. But I think we need to be honest and say outside of the Uriah and Bathsheba incident, David was a really good, godly, and righteous king. Some of you are saying, really? I don't know if I totally believe that. Well, I have scripture to back it up, so there. This is what I would do. Just simply go to 1 Kings 15. It says this, Because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and he did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, and obviously Bathsheba that goes with it. This is what David is telling us. When it comes to God answering our prayers for rescue and help in time of need, folks, God honors those who honor him. It's true. Holiness, doing what's right, purity, it matters. God rewards righteousness, He rewards holiness this is not just found here it's found all over the Bible that when we choose to honor God as we live for him God is more likely to answer our prayers and he's more likely to reward us according to our life now this does not mean that we'll never get cancer obviously not it does not mean that life will always go well look at Job He was the most righteous man on the face of the earth, right? But his life completely fell apart because he was the most righteous man on the face of the earth. But, that being stated, still as a general principle, God honors those who honor him. And living a holy and godly life, it matters. For instance, look at 1 Peter 3, verse 12. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. That's David in his time of need. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It's right there. Or how about 1 Samuel 26? The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and for his faithfulness. Now this is where I think many times modern-day Christians sort of miss things. They're like, well... Jesus forgives all my sins, so I can sin all I want. I have a get-out-of-jail-free card, which is, in one sense, obviously very true. Jesus does forgive all of our sin when we repent. But that doesn't mean we should sin, because Jesus forgives sin. God rewards righteousness. And David says, I think God really was quick to answer my prayers because I really tried to obey him and follow him and love him with all of my heart in my life. I'll give you some practical illustrations. Many times today I see young people that they are living together, living with their boyfriend, living with their girlfriend, and they're Christians, and they say, well, it's okay because God's going to forgive. Well, that's true. God does forgive, but you still know what's right, and you're still intentionally doing what's wrong, that's not the kind of life that God rewards. That's not the kind of person where God rushes to answer the prayers, right? That's what David is saying here. Get married. Honor God. That's the simple answer. Some people will say, well, I, 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 there's some things I'm looking at on my phone you know, that probably aren't really the best, But, you know, I asked God to forgive me. And by the way, he does. He does forgive you. But it's also not a good idea to look at inappropriate stuff on the internet. God rewards a righteous life, is what David said. Don't forget that. God honors those who honor him. Now let's start a little bit more into the backside of the inclusio. He also tells us something else about what God rewards. Verses 26 to 28. How does God respond to our lives? With the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you deal purely. With the crooked, though, you make yourself seem torturous. You save a humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty and you bring them down. How we treat other people matters because God treats us a little bit like we treat other people. Are you merciful to others? God is merciful to you. Are you humble before others? God is kind to you. This is a principle David is bringing out. But are you somebody who's crooked and deceptive to others? God will seem torturous to you. As I told you earlier, there's all kinds of little subtle uh, word plays going on in the text here. And I'll give you another one that's sort of fun. The word for crooked in Hebrew is the word tithafel. That sounds like a name. One letter off from somebody we've met before in this book. Remember the fell was David's close counselor. His best friend and the heat that fell, he switched sides in the background and joined Absalom's conspiracy. In fact, he masterminded Absalom's conspiracy against David. Talk about getting stabbed in the back when your best friend masterminds a conspiracy against you, backing your son, planning your own death. That's pretty ruthless, isn't it? But remember, To the crooked, God makes himself seem torturous. What did David do when he heard that Ahithophel had joined Absalom? Remember, he says this. He prayed, Lord, frustrate the counsel of Absalom. And then as soon as he prayed, it says, immediately, all of a sudden, another guy named Hushai came walking up to him. Hushai was also another wise man who was known as a counselor. And David said to Hushai, You go into the city and frustrate Absalom's wise counsel. And we learned, we studied that text, that Hushai made it into the city just right before Absalom arrived. And then it was Hushai and Ahithophel right before Absalom. And Absalom says, uh, give me the counsel about what I should do. Ahithophel gave the right advice. Hushai gave crooked advice, wrong advice. And God twisted Absalom's heart to follow the wrong advice. And that, my friends, was the beginning of the end of the conspiracy. And Ahithophel knew it. He went out and hung himself. David prayed, and God responded from heaven, that mighty God of Mount Sinai, but he did it in a very ordinary behind-the-scenes way where at just the right time, Hushai showed up. And then he made it into the city at just the right time. And then he provided unwise counsel, which would frustrate Absalom planned at just the right time and God twisted Absalom's heart to take it. You see how God responds to our prayers in time of rescue? It may not be fire from heaven, but it's definitely the God of heaven showing up, isn't it? To save his people in their time of need. Now we're on the back side of the Ecclusio. We saw earlier David's salvation from God's perspective. Now we're going to look at David's salvation from perspective. David's perspective. How does it look like when God David saved, God saving David? Beginning in verse 29. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can, I can run against the troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord, it proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. I don't have the time to unpack all that, but David is saying, God, you enabled me to go against a troop, a whole group of soldiers. You gave me the military ability to fight against a number of people. You gave me the ability to leap over a wall. Like, I couldn't normally leap over a wall. I don't know where I found that strength in the midst of the battle. I don't know where I found that ability in the midst of that trial. You gave me the energy I needed to face the adver- adversity in front of me. He continues For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? This God is my strong refuge, and He has made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You've given me the shield of your salvation, and your gentleness made me great. You gave me a wide place for my steps under me, and my feet did not slip. As I said, I can't cover all these pieces, but let's look at some of the phrases. God, you made my feet like the feet of a deer. When I was scaling rock walls, somehow I didn't slip. You enabled me to successfully do that. You're the one that trained my hands for war. When I was in a battle, Somehow I always seemed to be victorious. And that was because of you, God, not me. You gave me those abilities. Not only that, you gave me strength beyond what I could imagine. I could pull back a bow of bronze. By the way, bows are not made of bronze because you cannot pull them back. This is David saying, God, you gave me abilities. I don't even know where that strength came from other than you. I pursued my enemies and I destroyed them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. I consumed them. I thrust them through. So they did not rise. They fell under my feet. But notice what he says here. For you equipped me with the strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me. Those who hated me, I just destroyed them. They looked, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as the dust of the earth. I crushed them and stamped them down like the mire of the streets. God, you're the one who gave me the ability to win in these battles. I was writing this, I was thinking about the time where we had Absalom's abnormally large army versus David and his men with their small army. Remember it, the battle took place in the forest of Adalam. And it says that 20,000 men died that day. And the text seems to imply that's just the number of Absalom's army that died that day. And then it says, and more died by the forest than the sword. That God was actually fighting and having the enemy impaling themselves on the tree branches as they ran through the woods. This is God giving David victory. And then he says, For you delivered me from strife with my people. You kept me as the head of the nations. People whom I have not known served me. Foreigners came cringing to me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. Talks about God delivering him from strife with the people. The thought came to mind is when David... First became king. Remember, he was not over king of the entire nation. He was just king over Judah. But the northern kingdom had Ishbosheth, which was Saul's son, in charge of it, as well as Abner, who was Saul's army commander. And there was seven years of war between the northern and the southern kingdom, and it was a stalemate. It wasn't going anywhere. And you know how God delivered him from that. You remember, where God had a falling out between Ishbosheth and Abner. And Abner came south and delivered the northern ten tribes to David, and David became the king of the entire nation without him having to lift a finger. Who did that? That was God. God working behind the scenes in the backgrounds. Another one that was interesting is, remember when David was fleeing out of Jerusalem because Absalom was arriving, and there's a little scene in there where Atai the Gittite, Is there. And Atai is, he's a mercenary soldier and he has these mercenary men with him. And David says, You don't have to flee with me. You just came here yesterday. You've only been here a day. You're not even like really part of me. You can leave. And Atai says, No, I'm going to fight for you, I'm going to fight with you. And Atai and his soldiers leave with David. And then you look later on in the battle against Absalom and Atai and his mercenary soldiers lead a whole division of David's army. Who was it that had Atai and his soldiers show up the day before Absalom pulled his coup? Who was looking out for David and protecting David? It was God. You see how God is at work answering David's prayers, watching out for his king? The mighty God of Mount Sinai is coming to his rescue, but he's doing it in ordinary ways that just look like strange coincidences that always happen to work in the right way in the right time. And you could call it a coincidence, but the problem is it happens again and again and again and again. Look at your life. How many times has God ordered things to care for you? Again, and again, and again, and again. That's the way God answers prayers and comes to the rescue of his people. Now we're on the bottom of the backside. Praise the Lord, God is my rock and my saviour. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemy. You exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from men of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing praises to your name. David says... This song is not just to be sung amongst God's people. But God, you are so great, it needs to be sung among the nations so everyone else knows how great you are and that you answer the prayers of those who call to you for help. Interestingly, when Paul writes Romans, and he gets to Romans chapter 15, he he says this, and I'll start in the middle given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And then he quotes right here, this section of Second Samuel 22. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. If David wanted this song, sung Among the Nations, so people would know how great God is and that he saves those who call out to him, folks, we have something even better. We have Jesus. He saved us when we called out to him. And we are far more blessed through Jesus who has saved our lives and changed our heart than David ever was. This week when you're in the YMCA or you're out with friends and you're thinking about something to talk about, maybe one of the best things to talk about is how incredibly good God has been to you and how he's been to me. And how he has saved our life again and again. And you're just bubbling over with excitement to tell people about it. To make God's name famous through how good he's been to you and how good he's been to me. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this inclusio within the inclusio. David looking back on his past and just bubbling over with thankfulness how every time he prayed in his time of need and even times when he didn't have a chance to pray in his time of need, you consistently came to his rescue and saved his life. And you're that kind of God who loves your people and responds to the prayers of your people. I pray this week that when we face trials and difficulties that we would be encouraged from this chapter to call out to you, knowing the God of Mount Sinai will respond. And when you respond, you often respond in sort of hidden behind-the-scenes ways by having just the right person at just the right time at just the right way, sometimes just giving us the extra strength we need to continue to fight the battles. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us and may God continue to enrich your life.